Uh, we are looking at the Lord's Prayer this summer, uh, what's commonly called the Lord's Prayer, what's really actually the disciples' prayer or the, the child's prayer. So if you would, turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. And we actually made a change last week because the first part of the prayer, if you'll remember, is all taken up with these requests for God to do amazing things for his glory, right? And it gives the entire prayer a very God-centered, uh, a very God-centered theme, right? But, you know, we're asking for these global, eternal, glorious things like God, hallow your name, make it great. God, make your kingdom come in here and out there. God, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in my heart and in our hearts and out there. And then we switch, right? We go from the eternal to the everyday. We go from a God-centered focus now to our needs. And what we looked at last week was, right, this prayer for daily bread. And what we saw was that really... That's a prayer that what God wants us to do is depend on him for everything we need to survive daily. Like every day we go to God and we thank him and we pray for those things that we need to survive. So food, clothing, health, all of that, all of that we have by God's great mercy, right? Uh, So, and... Even though planning ahead is good and, and wealth is good and, um, and the Bible even commends those things, what God is really after is for us to have a, a day-by-day dependence. He really wants us to live day-to-day on his grace, right? We're not to assume that tomorrow the bank account is going to be full, right? But that daily we, uh, we thank God for his daily bread and we want to be content with that. And um, really, what we're praying is Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. Listen to this. This is what the proverb says. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. And so what the writer of the Proverbs is saying, right, his prayer is that, We would have enough and just enough because human beings are funny creatures. When we have too much, when we have an abundance, and this is what the Proverbs want, we forget God. We're kind of lulled into this false sense of security, and this is where most of us are just by nature of where we live, okay, in the United States. We're kind of lulled into this false sense of security of thinking like, because I have enough, I got it all myself, and it all belongs to me. And the, reality, and, and the reality that Scripture reveals is, no, in fact, you only have what you need every day. And so what we're in danger of is saying, well, I got all I need and more, so who needs God? And so the, and so the writer here says, um, give me neither poverty nor riches. Or on the other side, if we don't have enough, right, if we're in poverty, the danger then is that we would steal and profane the name of God and we profane God's name in stealing because he's generous and he's a giver. And so what the proverb says is that we want to be right in the middle, right? We want, to, we want to live right in the middle, acknowledging that God has given us everything we need. And if we have an abundance, and most of us do, we don't want to forget God, right? And in fact, what we're enabled to do with that abundance 
is be generous with other people. All right, so all of that is wrapped up in the prayer for daily bread. But today we're going to look at the next, uh, the next need we have, and that's the need for forgiveness. So I'm going to start reading in Matthew chapter 9, excuse me, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, and read down to verse 13. And we're going to focus on verse 12. Jesus says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that as we hear your word and as I preach your word, Holy Spirit, that you would come and help us to take it all in. Lord, that you would that you would cause us to sense our our need, and also to see your abundant grace in providing for our need. So would you help us to understand your word, help us to understand how it forms our prayers, and help us to see Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. I am hot. All right. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, Jesus says, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So what we're asking for here, we're asking for our continuing sins. This is what we're going to see and we're going to kind of explain all this. But we're asking for our continuing sins daily to be forgiven so that we will have hearts of forgiveness. That's what this prayer is about, that we are asking God to daily forgive our sins so that we will have hearts of forgiveness, right? Uh, And Jesus uses this word debt. He uses the word debt to describe our sin. The Bible uses lots of different words for sin, right? There's iniquity. uh, There's transgression. There's trespass. And then there's debt. Uh, And so the first thing we're going to see is this, that this prayer acknowledges we have a debt problem. Right? We have a debt problem. So what is, what is a debt? A debt is something owed, right? Something that you are uh, legally obligated to pay to someone else. All right? So let's, uh, let, we'll go with a simple example first. Right? Imagine that, uh, that, that Isaac and Ben are in the gas station. Right? And Ben wants a monster energy drink, which, of course, his mother would never let him have. Uh, but that's what he wants, and he doesn't have the money to pay for it. And so Ben looks at Isaac, and he says, hey, will you buy this drink for me, and I'll pay you back later. And Isaac says, sure, right? And so now Ben is in debt to Isaac, right? Ben is obligated to pay Isaac for that debt hole right, created there. Uh, so that's a simple example. A more complex example um, is, well, we just bought a new house, right? Um, but here's the thing. We didn't actually buy the house, 
right? Because we didn't have the money to buy the house. We only had a little bit of money. And so Regions Mortgage bought the house, right? What we do is we go to the bank and we say, hey, I want this house, but I don't have the money to pay for it. Will you buy it? I'll give you what little money I have, and then I'm going to pay you every month. I'm obligated to pay the bank every month to live in my home. Until the debt is paid off, then the home actually becomes mine. Okay? So that, that is what debt is, something that you are obligated to pay. A hole that, uh, that has been created that must be filled back up for everything to be okay. That's what debt is. So why does Jesus say that our sin is a debt? Well, because my sin creates a debt problem between me and God, right? That there is, a, there is a hole that I have dug myself into and that I continue to dig myself into, right? Every time I sin, I have this legal obligation to pay back in righteousness, right? Um, and, and here's an illustration of that, right? It's that innate sense you have of having to make things right. So when you offend somebody, right? So Hey, I broke your toy. Let me make it right by giving you my toy. Right? Most of us kind of have that innate sense that we have to make amends for things that we've done wrong. Um, I offended you when I said this. Let me make it right by apologizing. Right? We have that kind of innate sense all the time of things going on where we are indebted to one another and that sense that we have to make it right. Now I want you to take that and blow it up on a cosmic scale. And that's the indebtedness we have before God, right? That we're in a really deep hole. And in order for us to have a good relationship with God, amends have to be made. That hole has to be felt Excuse me, that hole has to be filled back up in order for our relationship to be restored. And if it's not, there's no relationship, right? If I don't pay my debt obligation to the bank, I don't have a house, right? If you never say you're sorry for the terrible things that you say to people, you won't have any friends. Debt creates a problem. It creates a gap between you and someone or something Else. And so when I do something to offend, I must make it right. That's the debt that I owe. But here's the thing. The debt that you owe to God is far too large for you to pay back. Right? This isn't, this isn't karma. Right? Karma says that if, um, that if you do enough good, you will, you will balance the scales. Right? You'll balance out the bad and maybe even hopefully do a little bit better. That's not Christianity. That's not the Bible. What the Bible says is that the level of your debt is insurmountable. No amount of of good effort on your part is going to pay that debt back. Because here's what the Bible says, that even your good is still stained with evil. Right? So even though you're... Even though you're, you think you're throwing money back in the bank, you're actually not really throwing money back in the bank. You're just continuing to dig the hole deeper, right? It's the, uh, it's the man in prison who's done horrendous things to people. He's ruined his victims' lives, you know, 
Can they, will they go on? Yes. Will they have normal lives? Probably not. You know, they'll need counseling in order to have a normal marriage. They'll, um, their, their lives, in a sense, will always be defined by the crimes against them, right? And yet the man in prison says, let me make it right. Let me, let me fix this. Let me offer this or let me do this. Let me make amends. And what you want to say to that man is, there's no fixing what you've done. You can't, there are some things that you can't make amends for. There are some crimes that you can't undo the damage from. And that's, and that's our position before the God of the universe. We are in a position of debt that we cannot pay our way out of. And we need to let that sink in. Because if we don't let that sink in, we're not really going to ever get the gospel. We're not really ever going to get the good news if we don't really grasp the bad news first, right? Because too much of religion is telling ourselves how to be good or how to be nice, uh, how to be better. And you can really hear that message anywhere. In fact, you don't even have to come in here. Well, you're not going to hear it in here. Um, you probably should just go to like Books a Million and go to the self-help section, right? If you just want to be better, if you just want to be nice, then go somewhere else other than a gospel-preaching church. Because in a gospel-preaching church, you're going to have to begin with the bad news. And the bad news is you're pretty rotten. And as nice as you want to be, you ain't never going to be nice enough to pay, to pay off the debt that you owe. And so you've got a problem. I've got a problem. We have a debt problem. But that's not the end of the message. The gospel, the good news, is that our debt can be forgiven. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14. And you, me, you who were dead in your trespasses... And the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, that's Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How did he do that? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That record of debt, okay? So if you were to go to Regions Bank right now, you would find a record. And on that record, you would find my name and the address uh, at which I currently live, right? And underneath that, you would see this, right? Here's how much money the property cost. Here's how much money you've paid. Here's how much money you owe. That's a record of debt. And all of us have that. All of us have this record of debt before a holy God. And Paul says that what Jesus has done, what God has done in making you alive, is that he has come and he has taken that record of debt and he has canceled it. Wow, that sounds pretty nice, right? As in, like if, if somebody went to Regions and said, Oh, Kevin owes $250,000. I'll just put $250,000 in there. And that cancels the debt. Okay? How did Jesus cancel the debt, right? How does Jesus forgive sins? Does he, does he just kind of sweep them all up into a garbage bag and then drop them off at the dump? No, if debt is going to be canceled, someone has to pay it. 
Y'all, debt just isn't wiped out, forgotten, left alone. If debt is going to be paid, if, if sins are going to be forgiven, then someone must pay. That's the nature of debt. Someone must fill the hole. And so when Jesus cancels your record of debt, when he forgives your sin, he does it by paying it himself. Right? And that's what Paul says, that, that God takes that record that stands against you and tells you to pay, and he nails it to his son. Technically, he says he nails it to the cross. Who's on the cross? Jesus. Jesus becomes your debt. Jesus becomes your debt so that you can go free. So that you can be forgiven. The astronomical debt that you can never pay back is paid in full by the blood of the Son of God. John the Baptist calls him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How does he take it away? He takes it away on his own back. He takes it away in himself. Right? He takes it on himself so that all I owe is paid once and for all by Jesus. So let's go back to our simple example. Ben is in debt to Isaac. And Isaac has a choice. He can either require that Ben pay back the money. Or he can forgive the debt. Who pays if Isaac forgives the debt? Isaac. Right? Um, what do you call that? It's called a gift. It's called a free gift. When the one to whom the debt is owed decides to forgive the debt, it's not just wiped out. It has to be paid. And in this case, it's paid by the one to whom the debt belongs. Right? It'd be like regions coming along and saying, hey, we're going to pay your mortgage for you. Pay it off. Free and clear. It's your house. It's unheard of. It's unheard of everywhere but here. Right? So... That's the good news. That's the gospel. So if my debt has been forgiven, then why does Jesus tell us to pray daily for the forgiveness of debts? Right? If my, why do I have to keep praying that my sin will be forgiven if it's been forgiven once for all? And there are two things that, that we need to know in order to answer that question. First is this is not a prayer for unbelieving people. The Sermon on the Mount and this prayer in particular, of which it is a part, is addressed to disciples. It's not necessarily addressed to those of you who are outside of Christ. Though if you are outside of Christ, there are things that you can learn. But it, this is a prayer for people who can call God Father. All right, So that's who it applies to, which means this, that, that Jesus' prayer, what he's telling us, doesn't apply to that once-for-all forgiveness. Okay, um, This is not... That's, called, that's, called, that's what the Bible calls justification. That one-time act based in Jesus' work that says, you are free, you are not guilty. Okay? This Bible, excuse me, this prayer is not about that. Right? 
What it is about is the reality that our ongoing sin creates, right? Because even though we have been forgiven all, we have not been made perfect yet. And so we continue to sin. And that has to be dealt with by something else, right? That has to be dealt with by what the Bible calls sanctification. This ongoing process where the Holy Spirit works in a believer's heart, making them more and more like Jesus. But see, while that's going on, while we're being made more and more like we ought to be, we're still sinning at the same time, right? We're saints and we're sinners. And so... That image may not work, so we won't use it. But we continue to sin, and therefore we continue to, we continue to, to be in debt. And so what Jesus wants us to do, the reason he tells us to pray this way, is one, he wants, to us, he wants us to always have our sin before us. Not in a condemning way, but in a way that we would say, God, forgive me for this particular sin and this particular sin, Right? And what that does, remember how I said earlier that debt creates a relationship problem? Okay? Um, Sin in the Christian life creates a communion problem. All right. And so now you're just like totally confused. Let me me use this example. Um, In marriage, there are two aspects to a healthy marriage. Okay? The first one is union. And that union happens on the day, on, on your wedding day, okay? A union is created between a man and a woman, okay? Between a husband and a wife. That union never goes anywhere, right? Uh, that union is, in a sense, unbreakable. But then there's another aspect to, to a healthy marriage, well, really to every marriage, and it's this. It's communion, all right? There's a sense in which... Union never fluctuates. It never changes. No matter how angry I get at my wife, let's be fair, no matter how angry my wife gets at me, she never ceases to be my wife and I never cease to be her husband. Our union doesn't change, but our communion goes up and down. Right? Our communion fluctuates. Y'all, our sin has the same effect on our relationship with God. Our union is bought with the blood of Christ and is not going anywhere. You are a son or daughter of the king, and he is not going to kick you out of the house. But there is a sense in which, and it's more from your side than from his, right, that sin aggravates that relationship. It causes your communion to take a dip, okay? And so what Jesus is asking us to do, what Jesus is telling us to do in prayer uh, is what my friend Derek says is to keep short accounts with God. That you daily go to God and say, forgive me these sins, right? Uh, that you daily, and, or as uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, that the, the greatest saints, the holiest people, are the people who are most aware of their sin, right? That Jesus is saying, I want you to be aware of your sin, and I want you to daily confess it before the Lord. And because in doing that, you're keeping short accounts, right? So let's go back to the marriage example. If I do something to offend my wife, and I don't, we don't talk about it, I don't, we don't deal with it, but I just kind of let it sit there. It's like a, 
it's like a, a nail in the bottom of your foot, right? If you don't do away with it, if you don't pull it out and apply some medicine, it's just going to fester, and it's going to get worse, right? This happens in friendship relationships, um, right? You probably have a relationship with somebody, or maybe you used to, and they did something, right? They offended you in some way, and it created this gap that you've never dealt with, right? And so what Jesus is telling us to do is don't let that go. Don't keep harboring sin and just pretend like it's going to be okay because it's not going to be okay. Your soul will die. Maybe not eternally. Maybe not, uh, you, won't, maybe not you won't face God's judgment eternally, but that sin will have an impact on your relationship with the Lord. And so Jesus is saying, ask forgiveness for today's sins based on what Jesus has already done. So this prayer doesn't crucify Jesus again, but it's a prayer that our relationship with God would be restored and healthy. Okay? I hope that makes sense. So we are asking, uh, we are asking that God would forgive us of our daily sins. And here's what happens when we are forgiven, right? Out of God's forgiveness flows our forgiveness, right? Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Notice what he says in verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That sounds kind of scary. Let's talk about that. Um, So there was a a billionaire, and... uh, He was settling accounts with all of the people who worked for him, with all of the people who owed him money. And a guy comes before him who owes him $10 million. Now, this guy makes around $40,000 a year. And so if you do the math, I had to do it earlier with the calculator, right? It would take that man 250 years to pay off the debt. He owes $10 million. And his boss wants him to pay it off, except he doesn't have enough money to pay it off. And so the boss is ready to throw him out the door, right, to throw him into prison for not paying his debts. And the man says, please forgive me. Please cancel my debt. And the billionaire says, okay, you're forgiven. Well, then that man is walking down the street and he sees a buddy of his who owes him about 20 grand. And he walks over to that guy and he grabs him by the shirt collar and he gets in his face and he says, Pay me what you owe. Give me the 20 grand. And that guy says, I, I can't. I don't, I don't have it right now. And so that man takes him and he throws him in prison until he should pay off the debt. The billionaire hears about this. And he finds that man, and he has him brought back in. And here's what he says. You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? 
And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. This is Jesus talking. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's the story that Jesus tells in Matthew 18. It's called the unforgiving servant. And it's a really scary story because I imagine if you're anything like me, you struggle a little bit with forgiving people, right? But here's what the prayer, and here's what Jesus is telling us. Well, actually, let's ask this question first. Is this works righteousness? Are we earning God's forgiveness by forgiving others? No. That's not what Matthew 18 is saying. That's not what Matthew 6 is saying. We don't, we're not... We don't earn forgiveness ever, right? It's always a gift. So what does Jesus mean? What he's saying is you don't get forgiveness. You don't understand forgiveness if you can't be forgiving with somebody else. So, or on the positive side, when you forgive, when you have a heart of forgiveness, what it shows is that you fully understand your own forgiveness, that even if somebody has done something to really hurt you, right? Even, I mean, $20,000 is no small sum of money for most of us, okay? That's a little bit more than a cable bill, right? That was a big debt to that guy on the street. That was half of what he made in a year. And so that seems like a big deal until you put it in perspective to what he had already been forgiven. He had had a $10 million debt canceled that morning, right? It was, actually really, it was actually higher than that. But it was a debt he could never pay in his lifetime, and he had been forgiven. And what his master says to him is, because of that, you should be able to forgive people who owe you. Once you grasp how great your forgiveness is, once you grasp the level of debt that has been paid for you, then you will have a heart that is willing to forgive others. What we're doing is we're displaying our understanding. And it is actually the height of hypocrisy and unbelief for me to refuse to forgive people indebted to me and then to go to God and say, Hey, will you forgive me, please? God does not play that game. And what Jesus is saying is, you're actually not forgiven. If you are unwilling to forgive, it may be that, in fact, you are not forgiven by the Father in heaven. And that's a dangerous place to be. So what does that look like? What does it look like to, to us, for us to forgive our debtors? And the first thing is this, right? My forgiveness, so let's say that you are indebted to me, my forgiveness does not cancel your sin. I don't have that kind of capital, right? I can't make you right before God. So my forgiveness is not the same as Jesus' forgiveness. But here's what it does mean. It does mean that I can let go of wrath. I can let go of anger. I can let go of bitterness. I can let go of that desire for revenge. Because all of those things, when somebody has injured you, when someone has hurt you, those are the natural responses. When I sin against you, your natural response is, 
is retaliation. And what Jesus is saying is, actually, you need to let that go. You need to be able to forgive. And in fact, if I have received God's mercy, if he has forgiven my debt, then surely I can show mercy and forgive you in the same way. So what, what we're saying is that when your heart, when my heart understands how much you owe, when your heart, when you understand how much you owe, and when your heart understands how much has been paid, how much you have been forgiven, then that enables us to turn and forgive others what they owe. Whether that debt is small, and even if that debt is very great. I'm going to close with this. How do you do that? Right? If you've been brutalized, if someone has done something really awful to you and really injured you, what the psychologist will tell you, what pop psychology says, is that in order to move on, you've got to forgive. Right? If you're going to move on with your life, you've got, to, you've got to forgive that person whatever they've done. But the question is how? How is that possible? When someone has attacked you and taken something from you, how can you, how can you forgive that? Um, right? Remember what we said that, that someone has to pay the debt? Someone has to pay the price? Well, probably the reason that so many of us are struggling with anger and bitterness and arrogance and resentfulness is because we're trying to pay debts we can't afford. Right? When, someone, when someone injures you and you have to forgive that debt, that's not something you can pay out of your own account. The only way that you're able to forgive is by running to Jesus. His pockets are deep. In fact, they're bottomless. And his mercy never runs out. And the only way that you're ever going to receive mercy from God himself, and the only way you're ever going to be able to give mercy to any other human being, is by running to Jesus and by finding mercy in him. And actually letting him pay the debt. The longer you hold on to it, the more bitter and resentful you will be. The angrier you will be. So run to Jesus. Trust his mercy. And when he has forgiven your astronomical debt that you could never pay, when you grasp that, you will become the kind of person who can forgive others small or great. Let's pray. Lord, we rejoice that in you there is boundless mercy. We rejoice that that your pockets are deep. And that there is always more forgiveness. Not just for the past. Not just for the future. 
but even daily. Lord, would you show us what it means to keep short accounts, to not let sin go, but to bring it before you and confess it and to fall on the finished work of Christ so that we would have a daily sense of the gospel, a daily sense of the reality that we are the justified, the forgiven, the ransomed and redeemed sons and daughters of God. Work that gospel truth in our hearts so that then we can live that way. Lord, and for those who have not known forgiveness, for those against whom there is much sin, would you open our eyes to the amount of debt we owe and open our eyes to the reality that all I owe you've paid for me and that from all I owe... I've been set free. We ask it in Jesus' name.